Hi, this is Ken, and welcome back to Weber County's Greatest Generation. Today we're going to talk about the Jacobs family, who had four sons that went to war, and two of them were killed in battle. There is another family that lost two sons, and that is the Levington family, and I did a podcast about them a few months ago. So Murray Kimball Jacobs and Charlotte Emma Baldwin Jacobs were married on April 24th of 1909 in Salt Lake. In the 1910 census, they lived in Beaver, Utah, where Charlotte was born. Murray was the superintendent for a mining company, and they had one daughter named Emma. Beaver, Utah is located in uh, south-central Utah, and in 1913, they moved about 230 miles north to Riverdale, Utah, which is just outside of Ogden. In the 1920 census, Murray is working as a fruit farmer in Riverdale, and he and Charlotte now have four children. There are two more daughters, Deseretta and Susan, and a two-year-old son, Murray Kimball Jacobs Jr., who they called Kimball. They have three more sons, and in 1930, on February 26th, Murray died of tuberculosis. On February 27th, the paper reported, Weber leader dies at home in Riverdale. Murray K. Jacobs, prominent in church, school, and farm affairs in Weber County, died early this morning at his home in Riverdale at the age of 49. At the time of his death, he was the bishop of the Riverdale Ward, a position which he has held for several years. He was president of the Weber County Board of Education, a deputy in the State Dairy and Food Division, and a director of the Weber County Farm Bureau, of which he was one of the founders. He also served in the Utah State Legislature for two terms. Bishop Jacobs died of bronchial pneumonia, and this was about 12 years before penicillin. He was born in Salt Lake on September 3, 1880, a son of Henry Charlton and Susan Stringham Jacobs. The major portion of his life was passed in Weber County, and the last 20 years he resided in Riverdale. He is survived by his wife, Lottie Baldwin Jacobs, three daughters, Emma, Retta, and Susie, and four sons, Kimball, Grant, Wayne, and Gray. In the 1930 census that was taken shortly after his death, Charlotte is now listed as the head of household, and her occupation shows farm management. Emma, the eldest daughter, is still living at home and is a teacher in a public school. In addition to their eight children, a niece, Shirley Ross, aged four and a half, also lives with them. Ten years later, in the 1940 census, they are still living in Riverdale, and Charlotte is listed as the Weber County Deputy Recorder and Indexer. Emma is still with the family and is teaching school. Besides Emma, there is Kimball, 22, Grant, 20, Wayne, 17, and Gray, 15. Kimball's occupation is listed as farmer, and Wayne is listed as a farm laborer. So in 1940, um, Americans were closely watching the news of Hitler's army, who was overrunning most of Europe and watching Japan fight aggressively in China. Public opinion was still strong after World War I to let Europe and Japan handle their own battles, leaving the United States out of it. President Roosevelt had found some ways, including the Lend-Lease Act, to help Britain and France fight the war against Hitler, but it was becoming obvious to him and others that the United States would be drawn into the war. On September 16, 1940, FDR signed into law the Selective Training and Service Act, which was another name for the draft. 
It was the nation's first peacetime draft ever. And Kimball completed his draft card um, shortly after that. He answered yes, that he had a telephone and listed his number as 54-R1. He worked for the Southern Pacific Railroad at the Union Depot, and his mom, Charlotte, was listed as the person who will always know your address and signed his card, M. Kimball Jacobs. On January 17, 1941, an article in the Standard Examiner read, Orders issued to draftees at board meeting. Rackham gives patriotic speech. The men will leave on Monday. It goes on to say, We have to face the fact that our form of government is threatened and that the nation must necessarily protect itself, said City Commissioner William J. Rackham in a talk to the 17 men who will comprise the next quota for Draft Board 5. The 17 men met in the city county building to receive final instructions prior to their departure from Union Station in Salt Lake City, where they will be formally inducted into the Army. Seven others who did not attend today's meeting and who have been named as alternates to be called if any of the 17 failed to pass their test in Salt Lake City are Arthur Addis Crane, James Owen Fox, who FYI will be killed in action in the South Pacific on November 20th, 1943, Claude Barton Jardine, Grant Sog, Murray Kimball Jacobs Jr., Lloyd Gilbert Parker, and Jesse Martoya Garcia. Commissioner Rackham went on to say, we are hopeful there will be no direct conflict because if we show the world that we are prepared, this will have an effect on the dictators and they will not think that they can come over here and change our way of government. The dictators are not going to molest us if we show we are willing to go into training and make ourselves prepared. It is an honor to be able to be the defenders of the country where soldiers who do their duties have always been heroes. If necessary, you will defend your country with your utmost strength and even be called upon to make the supreme sacrifice. So another interesting part of this article shows us how the U.S. was not ready for the draft as the 17 men were instructed to include in their equipment three-day supply of linen, toilet articles, a suit of clothing, an overcoat, and other items when they leave on Monday morning. In response to questions, draft board employees said they had found nothing in the draft regulations prohibiting the men from taking personal belongings, such as a camera, with them. The draft board was also making arrangements today to obtain overcoats for several members of the group of 17 who reported they did not have them. And then on February 18, 1941, board selects 28 for service in army camps. These were from draft board five, and it was made up of Weaver County boys with Kimball Jacobs part of this list. And so on December 7th of 1941, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, Charlotte, like many other mothers, was thinking of what this would do to her family. She already has one son serving in the military, and depending on how long this war would last, three more would certainly be drafted within the next few years. When her next son, Grant, completed his draft card, it was typed and it gave his address at 22 Prescott Street in Sanford, Maine, as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He didn't have a phone, but listed that his mom, Charlotte, would always know where he was. He was home in March of 1942. There was an article in the paper that said, Standard Gold and Green Ball, held by the M. Man and Gleaner Girls at the LDS Riverdale Ward, 
And in the second paragraph, it says the highlight of the evening was Grant Jacobs, a recently returned missionary from the Eastern States Mission. He escorted Miss Avon Tubbs, queen at the ball. Wayne and Gray's draft cards were also completed in 1942. Wayne's indicated that he was living at home in Riverdale and working for the Southern Pacific Railroad. Gray's card was completed when he turned 18. He listed the John Clay Company at the Ogden Union Livestock Building as his employment, and both he and Wayne had put their mom, Charlotte, would always know their address. On May 4th, Grant is listed in the article, County Sends 49 Draftees to Army Camp. And on Sunday, May 10th, 1942, it was Mother's Day, and there's a picture of Charlotte with the headline, There with Mother on Holiday. For the first time in four years, the two young men above, Sergeant Kimball Jacobs and Private Grant Jacobs, will be able to spend Mother's Day at home with their mother, Mrs. Charlotte Jacobs of Riverdale. Both men are on a furlough from the service with the Army. Kimball was inducted in the Army at Fort Douglas in February of 1941 and has been stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington for the past 14 months. He was transferred to the Air Corps and given a furlough while awaiting an appointment as a flying cadet. Grant, who just returned from the New England States Mission in February, was inducted into the Army this month. Just two days later, the paper would announce the graduation of John Gray Jacobs. He was among the 231 seniors graduating from Weber County High School. The theme of their graduation class was the challenge of tomorrow. On March 16, 1943, the Standard reported Ogden men gained lieutenant rank. Receiving commissions in the U.S. Army Air Force this week include Second Lieutenant Murray K. Jacobs of Riverdale, who graduated from Lubbock Field, Texas. On June 24, 1943, the paper read the board reports 106 placed in armed air forces. 106 Weber County residents were recently inducted into the Armed Forces of the United States Selective Service Board No. 5 reported and have been accepted. John Gray Jacobs was part of those 106. On September 11, 1943, the headline read, New Series Begun by Wayne C. Jacobs. Aviation cadet Wayne C. Jacobs, 21, has just commenced the Army's primary flying flight training course at Thunderbird Field in Glendale, Arizona. A.C. Jacobs, the son of Mrs. Charlotte Jacobs of Riverdale, is a graduate of Weber County High School and attended Weber College. He entered the armed services on February 18, 1943. And finally, on March 22, 1944, the article reads, Silver Wings Awarded to Wayne C. Jacobs. Wayne C. Jacobs, son of Mr. and Mrs. Murray K. Jacobs, RFD4 in Ogden, which was Riverdale, received his silver wings when he graduated as a second lieutenant from the Pecos, Texas Army Air Force Advanced Two-Engine Aircraft School. He was assigned to Pecos from Thunderbird Field, Arizona. A former student at Weber College, Lieutenant Jacobs was employed as a clerk in the Southern Pacific Superintendent's Office in Ogden prior to entering active service. So just to recap, all of Charlotte's sons are in the military serving all over the world. Kimball is a pilot in the India-Burma Theater flying C-46s. 
Grant is another pilot. He's serving in Italy. Wayne, also another pilot, flying a B-24 bomber, is serving in the Pacific. And Gray was assigned to the 242nd Infantry, the 42nd Division that's fighting in France. So we talked a few episodes ago about the Burma Indian Theater of War, and especially about flying the hump. And the hump was a nickname that was given to airlift operations that crossed the Himalayan mountains into China. It was the Air Force's most dangerous route, but it was the only way to supply the Chinese who were fighting Japan. So this information comes from the website, We Are the Mighty. World War II began in 1937 for Chiang Kai-shek's nationalist China. By the time the United States began running supplies to the Chinese forces fighting Japan, the western part of the country was firmly controlled by the invading Japanese. The Japanese also controlled Burma on India's eastern border, cutting off the last land route into China. Aid would have to come by air, and American planes would have to come from the west over the roof of the world. But getting there was terribly inefficient. And beyond the inefficiency of flying the hump, it was also incredibly dangerous. More than 1,000 men and 600 planes were lost over the 530-mile stretch of terrain, and that is a very conservative estimate. It was dubbed the Skyway to Hell and the Aluminum Trail for the number of planes that didn't make it. When reading about World War II's Pacific Theater, what comes up most often is the gallantry and bravery of Marine sailors and coasties who were all part of the island hopping campaign. We also hear a lot about the bomber groups of airmen who devastated the Japanese home islands. But what we seldom hear about is the U.S. Army in the China-India-Burma Theater. They were busy building a 1,000-mile road and flying high over the Himalayan foothills to keep China in the fight. And this was of vital importance. China is a vast country, and when the communists and nationalists joined forces to take on the Japanese, there was a massive force to take on. Three million Chinese soldiers kept one and a quarter million Japanese troops in China, away from the ever-creeping allies who were taking island after island, slowly getting closer to the Japanese mainland. And China was fighting for its survival. So still reading from the website, um, there's some facts. Extreme weather took down more U.S. pilots than the Japanese. Forget for a moment that American pilots were flying the dub flying coffins, which were the Curtis C-46 commandos. The mountain ranges of the Himalayas caused jet stream strength winds and dangerous weather at extreme altitudes. And when that doesn't take you, a Japanese zero was there to try. Pilots would plod along at ground speeds of around 30 miles per hour, while the wind lifted their planes to 28,000 feet and then back to 6,000 shortly after. If pilots weren't flying through ice storms or thunderstorms, they were fighting the Japanese. Many pilots flying the hump were newbies. Although the China National Aviation Corporation ran the route before the war and its pilots continued to run cargo over the hump, the Army's pilots were newly trained flying officers with little experience flying in anything, let alone extreme weather. Even General Henry Hap Arnold, the only general at the Air Force ever bestowed such a title, got lost due to lacks of oxygen flying the hump. This lack of training may have added to the fatality rate. A full one-third of the men flying it died there. Another fact, if the weather didn't get them, the terrain might. Pilots traversing the route had to fly the Cali-Gandaki River Gorge 
a depression that is much wider and deeper than the Grand Canyon. The mountains surrounding the gorge were 10,000 feet higher than most planes can fly. The pass to escape the gorge was 15,000 feet high, but pilots couldn't often see it. Another fact, inside the plane wasn't great either. Pilots were issued fleece-lined jackets, boots, and gloves to keep their extremities from freezing during the flight. Lack of oxygen could cause pilots to veer off course and into almost certain death. C-46 cargo planes did not glide. Their heavy engines caused them to go into almost an immediate dive. Once out of fuel, crews would have to bail out with minimal protection, cold weather gear, and nine rounds of a 45 caliber pistol. Another fact, the last bullet is for you. Whether crashing or bailing out into freezing cold or jumping into enemy health territory, there would be no search and rescue mission coming for the crews flying the hump. Any rescue crew would be subject to the same extreme cold and fuel issues as any other plane. In enemy territory, Japanese patrols would capture American pilots, torture them, and then kill them. Part of the training regime for the hunt pilots included the right way to use the last bullet for themselves. On August 25, 1944, the paper read, Murray K. Jacobs reportedly killed. Lieutenant Murray Kimball Jacobs, son of Mrs. Charlotte B. Jacobs, previously reported missing in action in the China-Burma Indian Theater, is now reported killed. He was inducted on February 18, 1941, and served a year in the infantry before being transferred to the Air Corps. He was graduated from Lubbock Army Airfield in Texas in March of 1943, when he received his commission and his wings. He was born in Riverdale on June 17, 1917, attended Weber College and Utah State Agricultural College in Logan. He fulfilled a mission in the Eastern States for the LDS Church from 1938 to 1940. He is survived by his mother, three brothers, Grant, Wayne, and Gray, all serving with the armed forces, and three sisters, Mrs. Susie Romney, Rochester, New York, Mrs. Emma Morris, Culver City, California, and Mrs. Retta Watkins of Modesto, California. There's an awesome story on the website, Fold3, and we've talked a little bit about Fold3, um, getting the stories of all of those who were killed in World War II, called Stories Behind the Stars, and Don Milne has been the champion of that. He is the one that actually wrote the story about Lieutenant Jacobs. Murray Kimball Jacobs, Jr. was born on June 7, 1917, in Riverdale, Utah. His parents were also born in Utah. His father was a farmer and died when Murray Jr. was 12 years old. After his death, his widow continued to run the family farm. Murray had three older sisters and three younger brothers. All four of the Jacobs brothers were in the army during the war. Prior to the war, Murray had served as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He completed two years of college at Weber College and Utah State Agricultural College, and he worked as a clerk for the Southern Pacific Railroad. He enlisted in the Army on February 24, 1941. At some point, he was transferred to the Army Air Corps and successfully completed pilot training. He became a first lieutenant in the 4th Ferrying Group in the India-China Wing, flying a Curtis C-46A commander transport planes. He was stationed in India. The C-46A was selected for this theater because it could carry three times the weight as the better-known C-47, Plus, it had the engine power to climb over the Himalaya Mountains. 
but the plane had its problems. It was referred to as the flying coffin by the airmen who flew them. It had the disturbing problem of catching on fire or exploding during midair. Many C-46 planes took off and were never seen again. On May 27, 1944, Lieutenant Jacobs flew his plane, number 41-24694, nicknamed the Line of Duty, on his final mission. It took off from Chittagong in what is now Bangladesh on a planned 200-mile flight into Imphal, India. There was a crew of three along with four passengers. His flight never arrived. He was reported missing in action, but his status was later changed as killed in action. There is a memorial for Lieutenant Jacobs at Memory Grove in Salt Lake City, and he is also commemorated at the Manila American Cemetery in the Philippines. On April 12, 1945, there was an article that read, Two Mothers Get Sons Air Medals. Posthumous Air Medal Awards were presented at retreat ceremonies at Hillfield on Tuesday to Mrs. Charlotte E. Jacobs Ogden and Mrs. Theron K. Winkler in honor of their sons, Lieutenant Murray K. Jacobs and Captain Eddie Winkler. I did Captain Winkler's story a few weeks ago, and Theron is actually his wife and not his mom. Both officers lost their lives during their performance in combat. Lieutenant Jacobs distinguished himself for meritorious achievement by participating in more than 150 hours of operational flight in transport aircraft over dangerous and difficult Asian-China air routes, where enemy interceptions and attacks were frequently encountered. So from here, we're going to move into France and talk about the 242nd Infantry and the 42nd Division. They were battling Germans in France in the earliest days of 1945. The infantrymen were spending their time in desperate combat against German tanks and paratroopers during Hitler's final offensive in Europe. Operation Nordwind was sometimes called the other Battle of the Balge, started on New Year's Eve in 1944 in the Alsace area of France. The American and French armies fought desperately to halt the tank attack and hold on to the city of Strasbourg, the capital of Alsace. Three regiments of the 42nd Infantry Division had been hurried to France without the rest of their division support. They had arrived in Strasbourg just before Christmas of 1944, and they had expected to have some time in a quiet sector to continue learning the ropes of combat. But they had been wrong. In World War II, and this is where in the final days, the division has been filled with drafted soldiers, and with the desperate need for infantry troops in Europe, the soldiers had been pulled out of training in the United States and shipped to southern France. The three regiments were named Task Force Linden because they were commanded by the division's deputy commander, Brigadier General Henning Linden, and they had been committed to battle without artillery, armor, or engineers, and logistics support that usually the division would provide. So a record by Captain William Corson in a letter to the 46th Division reunion gathering in 1945, he explained the green inexperienced troops would occupy a town called Hatton since the Germans had nothing more than small patrols there. At least that's what the information was in a briefing, but someone forgot to tell the enemy, he wrote. German paratroops and panzer forces with tanks and self-propelled guns crossed the Rhine River 12 miles north of Strasbourg and clashed with the thinly stretched infantry on January 5th. 
for the next three weeks, the regiments defended, retreated, counterattacked, and were finally able to stop the Germans. He goes on to say the first week was a frenzied effort to halt the German advance, with companies and battalions moved around like firefighters plugging gaps in a fire. The fighting was so desperate that the 42nd Division even threw individual rifle companies into the fight whenever they became available. Officers knew little more than the GIs, Corson said. One morning, my company moved to a barren, frozen hillside with orders to dig defensive positions covering an area about three times larger than we were even capable of defending. After four hours of chipping away at the frozen ground, we were told this position could not be defended, and so we were moved to another spot about 10 miles away and started digging again. At Gamshain, the odds were too great for the infantry, and the majority of the defenders from the 232nd Regiment were either captured or killed. In a failed January 5th through 7th counterattack at Gamshain, units from all three regiments were combined in a patchwork force that was ultimately repulsed by the Germans. Dan Bierce, a rifleman with the 242nd Infantry in the counterattack, recounted the events in his oral history. They had tanks and heavy artillery and endless infantry troops, he recalled. We were outnumbered two or three to one, so we were quickly repulsed. We lost lots of men, killed, wounded, and captured, and we were thrown back immediately, he said at the January 6th battle. We were badly mauled, and it was very demoralizing. That was our baptism of fire, and we lost. Private Gray Jacobs was killed in that counterattack. On February 16th at 1945, their article read, Mrs. Faye Sessions Jacobs of 3750 Riverdale Road was notified today by the War Department that her husband, Private John Gray Jacobs, was taken prisoner by the Germans on January 6th. He was in France serving with the U.S. 7th Army Infantry. Private First Class Jacobs is the son of Mrs. Charlotte Jacobs of Riverdale. He graduated from Weber County High School and was employed by John Clay Company prior to being inducted into the Army on June 25, 1943. He trained with the Coast Artillery in California and then passed his examination to become an air cadet. He later transferred to the infantry and trained at Camp Gruber, Oklahoma. He was assigned to go overseas in December of 1944. His eldest brother, Murray Kimball Jacobs, was killed in action in the Burma India Theater on May 27th of 1944. He has two other brothers in the service, Sergeant Grant B. Jacobs and Lieutenant Wayne C. Jacobs. Finally, on March 13, 1945, the Salt Lake Tribune reported Private First Class John Gray Jacobs, whose widow is Mrs. Faye Session Jacobs of South Ogden, was killed in Europe on January 6th. A brother, Murray K. Jacobs, was killed in the China-India-Burma Theater in May of 1945. He had been overseas since December of 1944. On March 17th of 1945, the paper read, Memorial Set for Jacobs Brothers. Memorial Service for Lieutenant Murray Kimball Jacobs, 27, and his brother, Private First Class John Gray Jacobs, 20, will be conducted in the Riverdale War Chapel on Sunday, March 18th at 3 p.m. The two brothers were sons of Mrs. Charlotte E. Jacobs and the late Marie Kimball Jacobs. Lieutenant Jacobs was reported killed in action May 27th in 1944 in the Burma India Theater. 
He was a pilot at the C-46 transport. Private First Class Jacobs was killed in action in France on January 6, 1945. His wife, the former Faye Sessions, resides at 3750 Riverdale Road. Lieutenant Jacobs was born in Riverdale on June 17, 1917, attending Weber College and Utah State Agricultural College in Logan. He filled a mission in the Eastern States for the LDS Church from 1938 to 1940. Private First Class Jacobs was born August 5, 1924 in Riverdale. He was an elder in the Riverdale Ward and an active church member. Speakers will be Bishops Rudolph Van Campen, E. Gal Sheffield, and President Samuel G. Dye. And just incidentally, President Dye had lost a son in the war in 1942. Invocation will be by President Rulin Peterson, benediction by Bishop John Stimson. There will be a flag ceremony under the direction of the American Legion, and music will be furnished under the direction of Mrs. Wallace Greenwell. Survivors include the mother and the following brothers and sisters, Sergeant Grant B. Jacobs, serving with the Army Air Corps in Italy, Lieutenant Wayne C. Jacobs, serving in the South Pacific as a B-24 pilot, Mrs. Emma Morris, Culver City, California, Mrs. Retta Watkins, Modesto, California, and Mrs. Sue Romney of Rochester, New York. On March 19th, there was an article about the speakers at the funeral. Sacrifices of those who die on the battlefield are not made in vain, Samuel G. Dye, Ogden LDS State President, said at the memorial of First Lieutenant Murray Kimball Jacobs and Private First Class John Jacobs. E. Gal Sheffield of the Riverdale Ward Bishopric told of the faith of the brothers in performance of their church duties and said that friendliness was one of their outstanding characteristics. Private First Class Jacobs is buried in France at the Epinal American Cemetery near Lorraine. On April 12th of 1945, the article read, Two Mothers Get Sense Air Medals. Posthumous Air Medal Awards were presented at retreat ceremonies at Halefield on Tuesday to Mrs. Charlotte B. Jacobs of Ogden and Mrs. Theron K. Weekler in honor of their sons, Lieutenant Murray K. Jacobs and Captain Eddie Winkler. I did a story on um, Captain Winkler a few weeks ago, and Theron is actually his wife and not his mom. Back to the article, it says both officers lost their lives during performance of duty in combat. Lieutenant Jacobs distinguished himself for meritorious achievement by participating in more than 150 hours of operational flight in transport aircraft over the dangerous and difficult Assam-China air routes where enemy interceptions and frequent accounts were encountered. So that is the story of Mrs. Charlotte Jacobs and her four sons who served in World War II. And all there, there are no bodies here. The Ogden Cemetery have two markers side by side honoring the two brothers who gave their lives in serving their country. Thanks for joining us. Remember, the podcast is available on iTunes and also on my Facebook page, Weber County's Greatest Generation.